welcome to Long Live the Queen, where we talk about the women who made history. And by we, I mean the royal we, because it's just me. This week, our subject is Jane Seymour. Jane Seymour was born sometime between 1504 and 1509. We are going to go with 1509 because we don't know. And that's my best guess. Her birthday wasn't recorded because what do girls need birthdays for, right? It seems silly that something so important wasn't written down. But if you think about it, my mother probably wouldn't have written down my birthday if the hospital hadn't done it for her. Some people need a little extra push to keep records. At the time of her birth, she likely had four older brothers, John 11, Edward 9, Henry 6, and Thomas 1. You would think that the birth of your first daughter would be worth writing down, but eh, she wasn't a boy. The year of her birth was likely the same year that Queen Catherine married the teenage King Henry VIII. Anne Boleyn was just a little eight-year-old girl at the time. Jane was born into gentry class. Her parents weren't noble, but they were wealthy for non-nobles. Their family was old money. They had come to England with William the Conqueror nearly 450 years earlier. Anne Boleyn was Jane's second cousin because everyone in England was related at the time. Their mothers were cousins. The Seymour family resided at Wolf Hall. Her father was John Seymour. John was a knight and sometimes a sheriff, a justice of the peace, and a constable. He was a keeper of the peace, rubbing shoulders with the nobles. Jane's mother was Marjorie Wentworth. As a girl, she was placed in a position in the household of her aunt, the Countess of Surrey, where she met the poet John Skelton, whose muse she became. She was considered a great beauty by Skelton and others. In poetry dedicated to her, he praised her demeanor. Skelton's poem, Garland of Laurel, in which ten women, in addition to the Countess, weave a crown of laurel for Skelton himself, portrays Marjorie as a shy, kind girl, and compares her to Primrose and Columbine. Jane was not highly educated. Her and her siblings had been educated at home, which was unusual for the time. They had a wealthy, but kind of a country down-home life. She could read and write a little bit, but academics weren't a high priority for a girl of her station. She was much better at needlework and household management, which were considered far more important knowledge for women of that time. Her needlework was reportedly elaborate and beautiful. She was also said to really enjoy hunting and horseback riding. Jane was a country girl. On paper, Jane fit the beauty standards of her day. She was an English rose, light skin, light hair, light eyes, but she doesn't seem to have been beautiful or necessarily charismatic. She's kind of known as plain Jane. She was also known for being not so intelligent, but that last part I wholeheartedly disagree with. The Seymour family had some in-house drama. All rumors, but rumors that we know about today, so 500-year-old rumors. They persisted through time. Jane Seymour had an older brother named Edward. Edward was married to Catherine. 
This is a dynamic that we've talked about a few times. Catherine was from a wealthy family and had no brothers, so she was due for a rather large inheritance when her father died. But when her father died, he had written both her and her children with Edward out of his will. The will was contested by Edward, claiming that his father-in-law had been mentally unwell. It appears Catherine's father thought that Catherine got around. He even questioned the paternity of her children. Though that was an easy accusation to make about a woman back then and not so easy to prove wrong. Catherine ended up leaving her marriage after the scandal and became a nun. Word on the street was that she had been sleeping with her father-in-law, making Edward's two sons really his half-brothers. We have no idea if this rumor is true, but at the time, people believed it. Even Edward thought that his children weren't his. But he could have just been bitter that he didn't get the money. So his first wife was a nun, and he remarried and had a new set of children with that wife. Jane became a lady-in-waiting to Queen Catherine as early as 1527, when she was about 16. This was a prestigious appointment for Jane but not as prestigious as it had once been. During this time, Henry had started to move on from his first wife, the queen. He had started to show intense interest for one of his wife's ladies-in-waiting, Anne Boleyn. Anne was a very different kind of lady-in-waiting to the queen. Anne was older, in her 20s at this point. She was outspoken, well-traveled, and highly educated. Jane was a quiet, sheltered, and shy teenager. Jane was the second cousin of Anne Boleyn, living in her shadow a little bit. This would have been her environment in the latter part of her formative years. She likely would have felt for the queen, having been left by her husband. She was on the queen's side. She would have seen that he was not open to having only one daughter, and she would have likely related to that. She was very much a girl of her time. Girls just weren't as important as boys. There were two queens courts. Catherine was looking for quiet, polite Catholic ladies. She was running not a party court. She was very strict with her ladies, so I think this tells something tells us something of the personality of Jane. The other was Anne Boleyn's court. Lively, lots of music and plays and parties. Henry spent his time at Anne's court, so Jane wouldn't have spent a lot of time with the king. Queen Catherine was banished from court in 1531. King Henry was running out of patience with his wife, and he wanted her gone. The now 22-year-old Jane, it seems, went with her, supporting her through the legal fight with the king. At 22, it was getting to the point when people were wondering why Jane wasn't married. 30 is the new 22. 22 in the 16th century was roughly when women started to think seriously about getting married, having babies. Like, if you want kids, you should at least be looking for a husband by your 20s. And still, at 24, she was single. Not only single, but no one, it seemed, had shown any interest in her at all. This is likely where her reputation of plain Jane came from. But there were a lot of reasons this could have been. First of all, her oldest brother's wife had been accused of sleeping around and sent to a nunnery. Not because she had been caught in the act, but because she was seen to be friendly with men. This happened in Jane's formative years. It would have made an impact. It could have 
been money troubles. Maybe her father wasn't offering a grand dowry. And she had a lot of brothers, so money would not have been a reason to marry her. She was not going to get an inheritance. It was dowry, and that's it. But her younger sister was married, so it wasn't just that. She was at court attending Queen Catherine, who wouldn't have approved of flirting as a pastime. She served Catherine at the same time as Anne Boleyn, so they would have known each other. Bare minimum, they were co-workers, and Anne flirted her ass off. As we know, that is how she caught the attention of the king. When Anne built her own court, the ladies-in-waiting were, to some degree, split up. Most of Catherine's ladies stayed with her, but if they were particularly close to Anne or really wanted to live in a more liberal court, they would have gone with Anne. Jane stayed with Queen Catherine, telling us which one she preferred. There were also the hats. This seems like not a determining factor, but it had to at least have partially mattered. Queen Catherine had always worn the English gable hood. It was the traditional headdress in England for noble and royal women. Google it if you can. It was stiff and structured. It kind of looked like a small house with a pointed roof that you would wear on your head as a hat. And it had fabric in the back that would cover your hair and it would be split into two like a split tail jacket of a fancy suit. And it had fabric in the front that would cover your hairline. Your hair didn't show at all. Anne, having grown up primarily in France, wore the French hood. Again, Google it if you can. The best I can describe it is like a big, puffy, thick headband. There was no fabric in the front, so your hairline could be seen, and that was seen as risque. Like, ooh, you can see her hair. <laughs> I don't know. It also had cloth veil in the back, but it didn't split. It was just one solid piece that covered your hair. Like, hair in the front was enough. Like, see the front little hairline and... Get all hot and bothered. Can't see any more of that hair. The same way that men signaled loyalty with the naming of their sons, the women started signaling their loyalty with the kinds of hats they used to cover up that sexy, sexy hair. Keep in mind that when you think about Jane Seymour's sister-in-law's marriage issues, hair was like cleavage. Showing a man uncovered hair would be like walking in fully topless now. If you weren't wearing a hat, it was like, it was, it was scandalous. It didn't take much to get a reputation is what I'm saying. Back to English court, there were two sides. It was like shirts and skins, English hats or French hats. It would be like you were offered two jobs, the same job in most respects, but for one, the dress code was business. And for one, the uniform was the uniform from Hooters. It would really just depend on what you would feel more comfortable in, because the job was essentially the exact same thing. Jane was a conservative country girl at court. She was serving her queen in a time when the queen was very popular with the people, but not popular with her husband, the king. During this time, someone began showing interest in Jane. She was 24 at the time, and that was seen as older to start a family. A lot of girls had their first couple of babies when they were still teenagers. She was getting to an age where she had to get married or become a nun. Maybe she was waiting for love. William Dormer was interested in a match with Jane. 
But William's parents were like, nope, not happening. Not, not her. So Jane went back to no courtship. He was the only man who had shown interest in her. She probably wasn't feeling her best self. But Queen Catherine's court was known for drinking Welsh beer. So she spent her bounce back in a sewing circle with her girlfriends talking about God and drinking imported beer. Not my first choice, but they didn't have Netflix and ice cream, so not a bad option. At some point, though, Catherine's ladies were taken away, and Jane was sent to serve along with her sister Elizabeth, her second cousin, Anne Boleyn, who, though not the queen, was acting like the queen. By this point, Henry was done waiting for his first wife to agree to a divorce. He just granted himself a divorce and married his mistress, Anne Boleyn. Jane Seymour had by this point served Queen Catherine and probably on occasion seen Princess Mary, the future Queen Mary I. She then served Queen Anne and probably saw her daughter, Princess Elizabeth, the future Queen Elizabeth I, on occasion. I'm trying really hard not to nerd out right now, but she saw Queen Elizabeth as an infant, and she didn't even know at the time how big of a deal that was. She would have been concerned that Elizabeth was a girl. Elizabeth's gender was a disappointment to nearly everyone. Henry had been sure that she would be a boy, and the planned celebrations after her birth were canceled. This would have been when the tension started in the royal family, similarly to the way it had started with the king's first wife, Catherine. It was just moving much faster this time. Henry had been here before with a wife who only had one daughter, and that was unacceptable to him. The following year, Anne was pregnant again, but she miscarried that baby on Christmas Day. In an extremely superstitious world, this was a bad sign, a possible signal from God on Christmas that he did not approve of this marriage any more than he had approved of his last marriage. But Henry was still up for trying. The next year she was pregnant again, but she miscarried again, this time a boy. Jane would have been there for these miscarriages and seen the new Queen Anne becoming more and more desperate for a boy. Everyone in the country knew that King Henry didn't count a marriage without sons as a real marriage, and Queen Anne was probably on her last chance. In 1536, when Jane was 25, the 35-year-old queen was pregnant again. 50-year-old former Queen Catherine was off in exile from court. King Henry, like he had always done before, was attempting to avoid the stress in his marriage by engaging in a dalliance with one of her ladies-in-waiting. The lucky lady, in heavy air quotes, was Lady Jane Seymour. This likely wasn't by chance. Here's what was happening behind the scenes. The King's chief minister, Thomas Cromwell, had mad beef with Queen Anne. Queen Anne was mad at him, and they were kind of fighting over power. They both wanted each other gone. A man working for Cromwell at court was Anne's oldest brother, Edward. The Edward from the family drama of is my wife sleeping with my dad fame. Cromwell and Edward were scheming together against Queen Anne. And Edward was like, hey, I have a single sister. She's 24 and she lives here at court. And Cromwell was like, let's see if we can distract the king with her. They weren't even very sneaky about it. Cromwell had adjoining rooms with the king because he was his right-hand man. And all of a sudden he was like, hello, employee Edward. Here you go, have my rooms connected to the king's rooms. 
And then Edward was like, Jane, hang out at my place as often as possible. Cromwell and his supporters would undermine Queen Anne when they could, talking about her big mouth and her lack of a son or just her bossy woman behavior. It was, it was easy for them. Jane was quieter than Anne. She was kind of the anti-Anne. Jane was kind of just a younger version of Henry's first wife, Catherine, but young enough to still have babies. This can be seen two different ways. Maybe Jane was a very shy, quiet girl who was used as a pawn by men. Or she was in on it. I think she was in on it. She was accentuating her anti-Anne on purpose. She didn't have a husband. Maybe she thought, well, if I have to get married, maybe it can be to the king. At this point in his life, King Henry was in his early 40s and still fairly fit and somewhat fun-loving. And if it didn't work out, her family would have at least been raised in stature. And if she didn't mess up, they would all be overall better off. What could go wrong? When Cromwell set up Summer Progress in 1535, he made sure one of the stops was Wolf Hall, the family home of the Seymours. Jane would have been there doing her job of attending the Queen. But if they were staying at your family home, being hosted by your parents, you probably get a little extra attention or an introduction like, hey, thanks for coming to our home. Did you know one of our daughters came with you? She works for the Queen. So the King noticed Jane and he flirted with Jane. And once he sent her cash along with a letter, she was a bit extra when this arrived. When the courtiers showed up with the letter and the cash, which random, but okay. So he sent her cash and a letter. The sweet, demure Jane dropped to her knees and claimed that all she had was her honor and she could not accept money as an unmarried woman. But then she added that you can send me cash after I have a husband. Most people seem to think that this indicated that she either wanted to marry Henry, like Anne Boleyn, or at least marry one of his friends and be his mistress, like Anne's sister Mary had done. King Henry was a great husband and boyfriend when he was interested, but not much once he had moved on. He was a heavy love bomber in new relationships, even when he still had a wife. He was, in a way, a serial monogamist. The main problem was that he usually moved on to his next main squeeze before he had officially cut ties with his last relationship. He was never alone. He had started the relationship with his second wife when he was still married to his first wife. But in his soul, he had moved on, and he was just waiting for everyone else to catch up. Henry was not so patiently waiting for his pregnant wife Anne to have a boy. And this new hobby that he had was just flirting with Jane Seymour, who was conveniently always around. He even gave her a small locket with a miniature painting of him inside. Queen Anne was feeling the pressure. She was 35 and only had one daughter. Her predecessor, Queen Catherine, had only one daughter. And when it became obvious she was not having any more, she had been discarded. Anne was feeling the end and was just hoping she would have a boy. So she wasn't thrilled when she saw her lady-in-waiting and second cousin Jane opening and closing a locket, looking at it adoringly. Queen Anne demanded to see it, and when she saw her husband's face looking back at her, she was all, no, 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 
don't worry about it, Queen. I just love him like a king. Jane was all kinds of innocent, but Queen Anne had been the king's mistress before, and she knew how it started, and she was angry. She ripped the locket off Jane's neck, cutting her fingers in the process. Another reason I think she was in on it. Imagine you're having an emotional affair with your boss's husband. No sex, but inappropriate texts and pics. So then you get to work and you keep looking at your phone at the picture of your boss's husband. So obviously that your boss notices, grabs your phone and smashes it, injuring herself. Was that an accident? We are down to either she was very, very dumb or kind of clever because Queen Anne looked like an irrational pregnant woman. Anne was not just going to roll over like Catherine had. She was not going to allow her husband a mistress, even though that had been the custom when his wives were in confinement. Anne's confinement was growing closer. She was quite pregnant at the time. Anne knew how dangerous a royal mistress could be. She had been one herself. Another reason I think Jane was more clever than she's given credit for. Anne and Jane had worked together when they were younger. Jane was playing dumb, and I think Anne knew she wasn't as dumb as she was playing. She was a threat because she was clever. The men, though, they believed she was kind of a country airhead. And she was playing into that. Henry decided he needed a tournament. He participated in this tournament. He was 45, but for the age, he was still young and fit. He was, he was a young 45. And he was having a bit of a midlife crisis and getting sick of his new wife. They had only been married three years, but it was not going well. He was trying to get his mojo back. At this tournament, Henry had an accident. He was knocked unconscious for literal hours. He was getting last rites and people were praying. Pregnant Queen Anne was worried not just for her husband, but for her daughter. If Henry died, they wouldn't know who was in charge of England legally. Princess Elizabeth was next in line, but she was two and a girl. And that couldn't be decided until Anne had her baby, because if it was a boy, the boy would be a newborn king. Then there were Queen Catherine and Lady Mary supporters. They could just rise up and kill Anne and her children so that Mary would be the only option left. Anne likely also had people to go apprehend Mary, because if she was in the tower, she couldn't be a figurehead for the Catholics. But then the king woke up. So good news? But it wasn't great news. Henry seems to have suffered from some sort of brain trauma. He was unconscious for so long, and when he woke up, his personality was different. He was no longer the fun party guy. He was angry, real angry, a lot of the time. Only to be made worse, probably, by the wound on his leg that didn't heal for over a decade. He would die with that wound in his leg, and... It probably didn't feel great, so while he was already irritable, he also was in physical pain. There was this story when Anne walked in to speak to Henry. She found Jane sitting on her husband's lap, and she was livid. As someone who had regularly be been called the king's whore, she was ready. How dare he be so familiar with her lady? What kind of man was he? Well, it seems like he was still the same man that cheated on his first wife with Queen Anne. For pregnant Anne, this would have been very alarming. She didn't want to be banished from court like Queen Catherine had been. Was Jane sleeping with her husband? I don't know. The story was told after the fact, so it may just be a rumor, 
that the but the woman who wrote it was the lady in waiting to the king's daughter Mary. She wasn't born yet, but her parents had been around court. This woman's father had been the one time hopeful boyfriend of Jane. Dormer from earlier, the one whose parents were like, Nope, not not definitely not. You're going to be an earl. You can't marry this country girl. So it was word on the street, but she was in the loop as far as word on the street goes. So I don't know. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. Jane was highly praised for her gentle, peaceful nature, being called as gentle a lady as I ever knew by John Russell and the Pacific by Imperial Ambassador Eustace Chapuy for peacemaking efforts at court. Polydor Virgil commented that she was a woman of the utmost charm in both character and appearance. She was regarded as meek, gentle, simple, and chaste, with her large family with a lot of boys, making her thought to be suitable to have many children, male children, because her mother had had a lot of boys. But all of this flowery language was probably just because unlike Henry VIII's first two wives, Jane's reputation stayed intact after her death. It was around this time that word reached court that Henry's first wife, the banished Queen Catherine of Aragon, had died at the age of 50. Anne and Henry were thrilled and both dressed in yellow, an odd choice for January. They happily pranced around court showing off Anne's pregnant belly and their two-year-old daughter, Elizabeth. This was the new start they had been waiting for. Catherine was finally gone. Maybe this is what God was waiting for in order to grant the royal couple a son. This would be the start of a new chapter. It was reported that later in the day, both the king and queen wept for her death separately and alone. But that sounds like damage control to me. Henry had known Catherine had been sick and refused to allow their daughter to visit her mother and refused to let her attend her funeral three weeks later. So I don't believe they were really that broken up about the death of his ex-wife. Any tears were performative at most, in my opinion. The day of the former Queen Catherine's funeral, the current Queen Anne miscarried the son she had been pregnant with. This would have been a horrifying experience, not just for Anne, but also her ladies, including Jane Seymour. Everyone was aware that this was Anne's last chance to produce a son and prove that God was on her side. This obviously was incredibly unfair. But Anne was out of chances with her husband, and she was likely to be banished like her predecessor. Henry could now move on to his third wife if he could get rid of Anne. His first wife, Catherine, was no longer in his way. Henry still desperately wanted a son, and Anne's miscarriage of his son had made him angry. On the day of Catherine's funeral, it was seen as a bad omen. Their marriage was all but over. Over the next few months, an investigation ensued. Thomas Cromwell presided over it just as he had the end of the king's last proceedings. They pulled in every man who had ever flirted or been flirted with by the queen. And there were a lot of them. Queen Anne enjoyed flirting, a hobby her husband had appreciated in her youth. But now it was a liability. Most of the men said they had not slept with the queen. One under torture admitted guilt. It was probably all untrue, but they started to be executed for treason and Queen Anne was arrested. 
This would have been shocking to everyone. When Catherine had fallen out of favor, she had been given a lot of chances to retire to a nunnery or agree to a divorce, and then was finally banished and separated from her teenage daughter. This is what everyone assumed would happen to Anne. But it wasn't what happened to Anne. She was arrested and then beheaded. This was a very different king than the king who had banished Catherine. I can only assume that Jane would have been alarmed. Before, he was kind of a slutty guy who moved on from his wives when they didn't have sons. But now you were risking losing your head as his out-of-favor wife. But it was too late to change her mind. Jane was in it too deep. King Henry had already decided Jane would be his next wife. King Henry and Jane Seymour were betrothed on the 29th of May, 1536, one day after Anne had been beheaded. So romantic. The day after. So back to our modern day story that doesn't exist. So you're having this affair with your boss's husband, right? And your boss's husband has her killed and proposes to you the next day. This took a sudden dark turn. If I'm Jane, I'm freaking out right now. Now it's a survival game. And Jane had been in Anne's court. So if Anne was innocent, like I suspect she was, Jane would have known that it had all been set up. Because they were together most of the time. They were then married ten days later. If this seems fast to you, it did to everyone else too. Everything was moving very fast, and Jane was probably mentally still trying to catch up and hope for the best. King Henry was enjoying his new start and elated with his new wife. As a wedding gift, he granted her 104 manors in four countries, as well as a number of forests and hunting chases for her jointure, the income to support her during her marriage. She was being love-bombed, as Henry did, and she was probably hoping that this time would be different. He had, after all, been married to his first wife for 20 years. Anne had been a short-lived middle crisis. Maybe this would be okay. She was publicly proclaimed queen on the 4th of June, 1536. Her well-publicized sympathy for the late Queen Catherine and her daughter Mary showed her to be compassionate and made her a popular figure with the common people and most of the courtiers. She was never crowned because of plague in London, where the coronation was to take place. It was too dangerous. Henry may have also been reluctant to have her crowned before she had fulfilled her duty as a queen consort by bearing him a male heir. No boy, no coronation. The next month, Henry lost his only son, Henry Fitzroy, his illegitimate child with his former mistress, Elizabeth Blunt. He was only 17, married, but with no children. Henry was down to only two daughters that he had demoted from princesses to ladies. As queen, Jane was said to be strict and formal, just like Queen Catherine had been. The lavish entertainments, gaiety, and extravagance of the queen's household, which had reached its peak during Anne Boleyn's time, was replaced by strict decorum. She banned the French fashions that Anne had introduced. She was trying to be the anti-Anne, because Anne had been beheaded. No one wanted to be Anne. Catherine of Aragon had lasted 20 years for a reason, so that was the look she was going for. 
She was also, though publicly Protestant, probably still a Catholic. Henry had accused the Catholic Church of monetary abuses. He was dismantling all of the Catholic institutions and selling off the property to raise money for the crown. One of these was Catesby Priory. This priory had been established in 1175 and was nearly 400 years old. Though Henry had found abuses within the Catholic Church in England, some of these priories were small and just trying to support their local communities. There was nowhere for the poor and destitute to go for help except, sometimes, their local priory. They fed the poor. They took care of them. This was likely the case with the Cistercian nuns at Catesby Priory. Queen Jane asked the king if she could buy the priory land from the crown and just allow the nuns to live out their lives on it. The king refused. With Catherine and Anne both dead, the northerners saw their chance. They wanted to be Catholic. King Henry had split from the Catholic Church to divorce Catherine and Mary Anne. Henry had forcibly been dismantling the Catholic Church in the north. The northerners thought that without those two women, maybe the king would have a change of heart and reunite England and the papacy. They were wrong. Henry enjoyed his new role as supreme head of the Church of England. The organized protest, known as the Pilgrimage of Grace, ended with many executions. Politically, Jane appears to have been conservative. Her only reported involvement in national affairs in 1536 was when she asked for pardons for the participants in the Pilgrimage of Grace. This didn't go well. She didn't ask in private, like, hey, baby, I know you're mad at these Catholics, but maybe you could punish them without killing them. She, in public, dropped his feet and begged him for mercy for the Catholics. If you've listened to other episodes, you may remember that this was a common job of the queen, to intercede so the king can be less harsh but still seem like the big tough guy that just loves his wife. The problem here was that it was usually set up beforehand. It was an agreement between the king and the queen. Like, look, I, I need you to make me look good. Just beg me and I'll be like, sure, because I love you. This was just Jane trying to act like a queen. I don't know if she didn't know it was supposed to be set up or if she really thought, yeah, this is what the king wants me to do. But Henry was not happy. He rejected this, reminding her of the fate of her predecessor when she had meddled in his affairs, which... If you listen to the last episode, she wasn't accused of meddling in his affairs. She was accused of sleeping with all of England. But now it's because she meddled in his affairs. Pretty much meaning, what the actual F are you doing? You need to remember that I killed my first wife. He was just straight up abusive at this point, And Jane had no out. Jane went back to being sweet and quiet. Her motto as queen was bound to obey and serve. And that kind of says it all. It does seem like Jane, like the Northerners, wanted her Catholic faith back. But now her husband was a guy that could, would, and had beheaded a wife. So this was a complicated relationship. Jane is often seen as kind of a doormat. She was so passive and submissive. In my opinion, this was a survival tactic. Catherine had been submissive. And although she had been banished to die alone, she hadn't been killed. Anne had not been at all submissive, and she had been beheaded. So choices were made. 
Jane also seemed very supportive of King Henry's oldest daughter, Mary. She didn't push to have her fully restored to a legitimate princess, but she did suggest that Mary be added back into the line of succession after any children that Jane and Henry were to have. Henry was still angry with his daughter. She had sided strongly with her mother in the divorce, refusing to follow his orders. Henry didn't like that. He was God's chosen King of England and supreme head of the Church of England. If you didn't listen to him, you were wrong. I think he thought his grandmother would have been proud of him. She had hoped that he would eventually be Pope. To Henry, that's essentially what he was in England. But I suspect that his grandmother would have boxed his ears. She had been an extremely devout Catholic. And for the Renaissance, kind of an early feminist. She had liked Catherine of Aragon. She had supported their marriage. She helped them plan their marriage at the last minute after Henry's father had died. She would have loved her granddaughter Mary a great deal if they had the opportunity to meet. To me, Mary became the queen that Henry's grandmother, Margaret Beaufort, would have wanted to be. Check out Margaret Beaufort's episode if you need a refresher, but she definitely gives off Princess Mary vibes. But like King Henry had a similar personality to his grandfather, King Edward, Lady Mary Tudor's personality seems to have been a lot like her great-grandmother, Lady Margaret Beaufort. Lady Mary had some damage control to do. Her father was angry, but her stepmother was supporting her. Jane brought up the issue of Mary's restoration both before and after she became queen. While she was unable to restore Mary to the line of succession, she was able to reconcile her with her father, Henry. Chapuis wrote to Emperor Charles V of her compassion and efforts on behalf of Mary's return to favor. A letter from Mary shows her gratitude to her stepmother. While it was she who first pushed for the restoration, Mary and Elizabeth were not fully reinstated to the succession until much, much later. Mary had enjoyed the father-daughter relationship that she had until she was 17. They were close. She could remember when her father loved her. And she wanted that back. Even if, unlike her, he was anti-Catholic. Mary had recently lost her mother and the stepmother that hated her. She was isolated. Mary, at this point, was also nearly 21 and still unmarried. Without her father, the king's support, she had no dowry and no chance of finding a husband. She had been betrothed to princes and kings in her childhood, but then she had fallen out of favor with her father, so none of them materialized into marriage. Henry had been more preoccupied with his marriages and his children than his daughter's marriages and their children. If he had been a little less self-centered, he would have realized that with his support, his daughters probably could have ruled. Because they did. Especially the daughter of the great Queen Catherine. And if she had been married and possibly had a son, that would only bolster her claim. But Henry was all about Henry. And he thought it was really kind of him to include his eldest daughter in Christmas. Inviting your own child to Christmas seems like the bare minimum to do as a father. But during the Anne Boleyn days, Mary was not welcome at all. She had been seen as too big of a threat to Princess Elizabeth. So Mary was invited to Christmas in 1536 for the first time in quite a few years. She wrote a letter to his stepmother, Queen Jane, thanking her for all her efforts to repair her relationship with her father. Jane was pregnant by January, seven months into the marriage to the king. 
This was seen as a good omen. Finally, God was on board with one of Henry's wives. Jane developed cravings during her pregnancy for quail, and Henry had it shipped from Calais for her. During the summer, she took no public engagements and led a relatively quiet life attended by the royal physicians. Henry decided to cancel his summer progress, not wanting to be too far from his pregnant wife. He claimed he didn't want her to worry. Jane was worried about the plague outbreak in London because, of course she was, it was the plague. But people saw her level of worry as overreacting. They were taking no chances with this pregnancy. She went into confinement in September 1537 and gave birth to the coveted male heir, the future King Edward VI, at 2 o'clock in the morning on the 12th of October 1537 at Hampton Palace. This was a birth we have many details about. This was the first prince to be born and survive infancy in England since King Henry's own birth in 1491, 46 years earlier. Jane's labor had been difficult, lasting two days and three nights, probably because the baby was not well positioned. For me, this is hashtag relatable. My first labor was also two days and three nights, and that is exhausting. You don't get much sleep, and then you have to have a baby. My labor was likely a much more sanitary environment, and even then the doctors were concerned for me for possible infection. Prince Edward was named Edward because he was born on the Feast of St. Edward. Henry's Catholic was showing. Edward was christened at three days old on the 15th of October, 1537. Without his mother in attendance, as was the custom, she would have still been in confinement recovering from her three-day birth. Prince Edward was the only legitimate son of Henry VIII to survive infancy. Both of his daughters, Mary, 21, and Elizabeth, 4, were present. Elizabeth carried Edward's train during the ceremony. After the christening, it became clear that Queen Jane was seriously ill. Thankfully for me, cleanliness was a priority during my three-day birth, but that wasn't the case with Queen Jane. Jane had started to recover from childbirth, but then took a turn for the worse when her baby was one week old. On October 19th, there was a procession to St. Paul's to pray for the Queen's recovery. Just four days later, the Queen suffered from severe bleeding. The following day, Thomas Cromwell was called for to comfort the King because the Queen was dying quickly now. She died when her baby was only 12 days old, the 24th of October, 1537, at Hampton Court Palace, the same palace she had given birth to her son in. King Henry went from a high high getting the son he so desperately wanted to a low low realizing that his wife who had given that son was desperately ill after childbirth just as his mother had been before she had died. There is a rumor believed by quite a few that because of the long labor Queen Jane had a c-section to save the baby that King Henry had been told that he had to choose his wife or his baby, and he chose his baby because he could more easily replace a wife than a son. It is likely widespread because it sounds exactly like Henry VIII. That sounds like something he would say, but it cannot be true. A C-section in the 16th century was death, immediate bleeding to death. It would be used if the mother was dead or dying, 
but she wouldn't have survived for 12 days longer. So that's out. But it does say a lot about how people felt about King Henry. It could have been a pulmonary embolism or an infection or part of her placenta being left behind. The most unfortunate part of this theory is that an experienced midwife, even one in 1537, knew how to make sure they had the whole placenta. But the queen was attended to by royal physicians. They had a lot of knowledge, but childbirth wasn't their specialty. Had she been a peasant with the village midwife, she likely would have survived. Being queen may have been her downfall. In any case, childbirth is what killed her. Complications from a royal birth. Jane was buried on the 12th of November, 1537, after the funeral in which her stepdaughter Mary acted as chief mourner. A procession of 29 mourners followed Mary, one for every year of Jane's life. She was the only one of Henry's wives to receive a queen's funeral. She was really the only wife he mourned. She had given him a son, and she would forever be the saint who fulfilled his deepest wish and gave her life for it. She is said to be the only wife he truly loved. She is also the only wife of his to die a queen. Henry would be interred next to her a decade later. Choosing which of your six wives to lay next to for eternity seems like a big decision. But if you understand Henry, this was a no-brainer. Jane was his favorite wife, his most obedient wife, and the only wife he probably ever loved. And Jane's son was the next king of England. He was always going to pick Jane. After her death, Henry wore black for the next three months, and for the first time in his life, he stayed single. He wouldn't marry again for another few years. The last time he had been single was 30 years ago, when he was a teenager. Henry's advisors were negotiating other marriages because he still only had one legitimate son. But Henry wasn't here for it. He sunk into a pretty severe depression. Why had God taken his favorite and most honored wife from him so soon? 46-year-old King Henry put on weight for the first time in his life. He became obese and developed diabetes. If he had been a different man between his marriage to Catherine and his marriage to Anne, it was nothing compared to the completely different man he was after Jane died at the young age of 29. And that is where we will leave it for this week. What did you think of Jane Seymour? To me, she was almost an innocent bystander in the craziness of the English court. She hadn't survived the birth, but if she had, I think she would have likely stayed in the king's favor, even if she had just had girls after that. She had at least had one boy. They probably would have had more children. We don't know because her marriage to Henry only lasted just over a year. She was survived by her husband, King Henry, who would still have three more wives, but none of them would surpass Jane in his favor. When King Henry died, he would be married next to Jane, his very favorite wife. She was also survived by her only son, Prince Edward. He would indeed follow his father and be the next King of England, King Edward VI. The first Edward since the House of York was in power and likely a tribute to Henry's own grandfather, King Edward IV. The relationship she developed with her stepdaughters, Mary and Elizabeth, would carry on. They adored their little brother. Edward also paved the way for Mary and Elizabeth to be reinstated in the line of succession, because as a boy, 
he would come first. They could be his spares. And indeed, they were. All three of them would take their turn ruling England. You can share your thoughts with me at longlivethequeenpodcast at gmail.com or on Facebook or Instagram at longlivethequeenpodcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support me at buymeacoffee.com slash longlivethequeen. Long live to all the queens out there. And until next week, bye.